as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the six Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot And I'm Andy Wilson, aka Citizen Bot, also a Big Shiny Robot and due to the fact that our screening reps up here in Salt Lake City were scared to death of the Sundance Film Festival, they didn't screen anything for us all week long. So Andy ha-ha. here, haha, he got to jump on us. He's going to talk about two movies that he saw, uh, and then at the end, I'm going to f- just quickly follow up with the last three movies I got to see at the Sundance Film Festival, and we'll leave it from there. So. Andy, yeah, what luckily, did you to see that I didn't? <laughs> well, luckily for you, yeah, we don't have Sundance going on. We get the similar thing when uh, when South by Southwest rolls through in a yes. couple of months. I'll have the same problem. But uh, we got to see Kung Fu Panda 3 and The Finest Hours. Um, uh, I could go, like, worst to first, but really they're both about the same. So let's talk about the panda movie first. Pandas! Um, yeah, Jack White. Yeah. Yay, Jack Black. Uh, for those who are fans of the first two films... Which I am. I, I am. Uh, I think those are great movies. Uh, this this is a good sequel. Maybe not quite as good as those first two, but it's still a solid film. Uh, all of the cast returns, although in varying degrees. I think Jackie Chan and David Cross have maybe have one line apiece. And... Uh, barely any like Angelina Jolie but on the upside uh, we get a lot more of two new characters we have Brian Cranston uh, who shows up as Poe's long lost dad and he suddenly shows up in uh, in Poe's village and he's like oh yeah uh, we're a whole tribe of pandas and guess what we have secret magic called chi and you can or learn key about it. In Japan. Or Keith. So. Yeah. So uh, uh, Poe decides that he needs to learn this ancient magic. And at the same time, uh, J.K. Simmons is uh, an undead master from uh, the spirit realm who has managed to break through into our realm and has a grudge against said pandas. So he's going to go after them and eliminate the pandas and steal their power of chi uh, unless he can be stopped. All the while um, looking for pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> He's a menace, I tell ya! Box of meat! <laughs> so, uh, the, uh, the voice acting by both of those guys is excellent and really they are the two stars here. Uh, I mean, Jack Black does a great job uh, he's got obviously the central story arc, but those two as supporting characters do really well. You end up with this kind of great family dynamic uh, where Poe's like, oh, this is my real dad. And then his adopted father is like, no, I'm your dad. And so he's trying to like figure out who am I, uh, which is that, you know, kind of great Zen question. Uh, so again, borrowing from the Kung Fu movies uh, and tropes that Kung Fu Panda has always borrowed from so well, uh, it becomes somewhat of a, a journey of discovery for, for Poe. Um, but the, I, I do have some problems with the script. I don't know, Adam, if you remember an old episode of the show News Radio where uh, they find out that Jimmy James' autobiography 
is a big hit in Japan. And so what they do is they retranslate the Japanese version back into English <laughs> to try and get it to sell here, and it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. This script kind of feels that way. Like, maybe they were trying for too much simplicity, too much parsimony, and they missed out on really talking about, you know, what it is that's going on. Uh, so the script was fine. So and they kind of I, were, were playing to, like, the lowest common denominator as far as but, what was the audience was expecting and not what they could have had. Yeah, well, and let's remember that the lowest common denominator here are, like, five-year-olds. So I understand, like, you know, not overcomplicating the script, but it, it feels like they could have maybe done a little bit better of a job, and it sometimes felt just oversimplified and not as good as it could have been. That's really my only complaint with the film, which otherwise, the animation on this is absolutely gorgeous go and see this on the biggest screen that you can see it in 3d and just the opening scene of mm-hmm. uh, of the the undead evil master trying to break out and uh fighting um fighting his way out is just gorgeous just absolutely amazing as you see these giant uh asteroids and rocks hurtling towards you and it, it's beautiful, and uh, it, it's it's a lot of fun. So this is a movie that if you take your kids to, you're going to be okay at. It's it's not Citizen Kane, but and it's not even Kung Fu Panda Two or the original Kung Fu Panda. Mm-hmm. But it's still pretty good. You'll have a good time. So well, it uh, doesn't like everyone went out and watched it. It's uh, it's destroying the box office. So yeah, well as it probably well. As it probably deserves to. I mean, it's it's about time we had another kids movie. So uh, that that works for people. But you know, if you're a fan of the franchise, you're going to go see it. If you're not, um, I don't know if this is the best place to go and pick it up in the middle. Uh, go check out the first two. But in the meantime, there you go. Cool. So tell us about one for the adults now. Uh, for the adults, well. Well, we have a movie about sailors made by Disney, so it ends up being about the cleanest mouth sailors I've ever heard in my life. Um, this <laughs> this movie is only barely PG thirteen. I think it's rated PG thirteen. You know how they uh, say exactly what's in the film, like intense sequences of graphic nudity or whatever. This is like right, yeah, um, yeah. This is like intense peril or something like that. No, it's much too perilous. <laughs> there's, there's nothing really in this movie. Uh, for a movie about sailors, yeah, they they certainly don't uh, use any salty language. Uh, this is the true story, though, of the most successful uh, Coast Guard small boat rescue ever. In 1952, uh, a couple of oil tankers are hit in this massive blizzard off the coast of New England and um, they end up getting split right in half. Yeah, literally right in half. So uh, they don't even know about this second one. And so most everyone is off dealing with the first ship 
And then suddenly they realize, oh, there's this second one five miles off the coast and no one's coming for them. Uh, enter Chris Pine and uh, his crew and they're going to be basically the only ones who could go out and attempt a rescue. Uh, this is essentially a suicide mission and they're not expected to make it back. If you think about kind of the physics of this storm. They are in a harbor protected by a sandbar. And then they've got raging seas outside of them. So if you think about it and you've got a ton of water that's just raging and it goes up against a a fixed point uh, in surface, Mm -hmm. that's going to make giant cresting waves coming over this sandbar. And they're like, yeah, dude, you're never even going to get out of the harbor to be able to attempt this rescue. And he's like, yeah, we're going to try it anyway. And so if you've ever been surfing or boogie boarding and you're going up against these big waves, you know that when they start cresting, the only thing you can do is either get up over them or go underneath them. So guess what? In this tiny little 30-foot boat, what are they doing? Sometimes they're going right through these giant waves. Uh, It's absolutely harrowing. And then you realize, oh my gosh, how are they even going to get back? (laughs) Because (laughs) uh, there are other things that that complicate their rescue. Then you have a second storyline happening of everybody that's on the boat. Uh, And I think Chris Fine... Chris Pine did a great job, uh, but even better is Casey Affleck, who is playing the engineer on the ship, and he's trying to keep this half a boat afloat as they're taking on water. Does it uh, involve running from one side of the boat to the other? No, it does not. Oh, it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it involves uh, a lot more uh, engineering and really, really smart thinking and it's essentially a race against the clock because they're like, okay, well, uh, this much water is coming in. We have the pumps running. Once the water gets to this point, uh, it's going to shut off the pumps and then it's going to start taking on even more water. Uh, How are we going to stay afloat long enough for someone to come and get us? Oh, and there's no radio they have no captain or anyone because all of those people were at the front of the boat. And so they're kind of in a mutiny type situation and he's got to take control and keep them all alive. Um, Really amazing. Affleck does a great job. Um, I may be in the minority here, but Casey has always been my more favorite Affleck. Uh, (laughs) I've always loved I mean, I really like, I like Ben Affleck. I'm a fan. But I've always really loved Casey Affleck. Well, Casey's done, you could say his his percentage of wins versus losses as far as good movies go uh, do seem to outweigh Ben's. Now, that's Ben's whole career because lately he's been doing amazing stuff. So, Yeah, well, Casey, I think, probably never felt uh, pressured into doing Bounce or Reindeer Games. So, or Z- or Gigli. Or Gigli. Uh He can just let those slide by and pick and choose what... He also didn't have to try to compete with Matt Damon either, so... Exactly. So, uh, but everybody does a great job with this up until about the last 10 minutes. 
And then this movie grinds to a screeching halt as it becomes the most overwrought, cheesy, just ugh. I I mean I got almost I almost got really upset at, at this movie because it was doing just fine up until then. Mm-hmm. They tried to shoehorn a romantic subplot uh, between Chris Pine and Holiday Granger. And she's the girl back on shore who's going to have to be waiting for him. And Were they yeah, playing Celine Dion? No, they weren't. Damn it! But, <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, just, it just went completely off the rails at the very end for me. And uh, other than that, it was just fine. Um, but both of these movies, I'm at a 7 out of 10. Um, nice. This was this is good. It's fine, uh, harrowing, and uh, really makes you appreciate what actually happened out there. Uh, I mean, a little bit of the drama is taken away because you know that this is a true story, and they wouldn't be celebrating it if everybody died. Well, but... look at Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess that's true. Maybe so. Maybe that is a spoiler, but. Now, you know where my young joke was coming from. <laughs> yeah, well, they've been they've been marketing this as like, uh, you know, the Coast Guard's most successful. Uh, oh, I know, I know. Ever, and, so. and any trip to Google will or Wikipedia will tell you what actually happened. So yeah, so and and it's it's really cool. Stay through the credits um, because you actually get to see uh, photos of all of the people who were the actual people who did this. Um, it's not so long in the past that they weren't. Uh, you know, able to get pictures of these guys in the newspapers for their heroic efforts. So, uh, great job. Um, it feels very Disney-esque um, for people who have have seen recently their their string of heartfelt uh, sports movies. This is right in the same vein. Actually, uh, done by the same director who did Million Dollar Arm a couple of years ago. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I who that else? was a kind of surprise hit too. Did I? I had no interest in baseball movies, but from what I understood, that one was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. And, you know, and he also made Lars and the Real Girl, which was an interesting arty movie. So, I remember that uh, one, yeah. Yeah, well made, uh, well put together, and yeah, but it's it's very Disney-fied, uh, as I said. So if that, if it offends you that the sailors aren't swearing... This might not be your movie because the sailors don't swear. And if you're someone who's going to get offended by someone not swearing, you're probably someone who shouldn't be listening to people swear in the first place. <laughs> well, uh, maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. Anyway, um, that's what's coming out in the theaters for the rest of the country. Adam, what have you seen at Sundance? So I, I try to catch as much as possible. I mean, the first weekend is kind of your go all out, see what you can. Uh, and then, unfortunately, work has to come back and slap you in the face. So... Uh, the the three I want to bring up uh, were two documentaries and also a found footage film. And how much do I love found footage films, Andy? Uh, your mileage may vary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not a fan, but this one actually was pretty fun and pulled it off. Um, the the one kind of interesting documentary was uh, the Werner Herzog Lo and Behold, Reveries of the Connected World. Uh, and he it was a 10-part documentary about the history of the internet, where we came from, what's going on now, uh, and then kind of where we're going, what the future is supposed to look like. Very, very interesting. It was, you know, as someone who has been on the internet for 
way longer than I care to admit. Um, I'll just say that You've Got Mail was a big thing when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> it was really interesting to go back through the halls of UCLA, and they, they actually have the room preserved exactly the way it was when they first hooked up the ARPANET, which was what the beginning of the internet was, was between them and I forget, I forget what other university it was. Uh, but they actually had both scientists on the phone talking to each other. So as they were typing, they could verify what the other was saying. Uh, and the reason why it's actually called Lo and Behold was because the very, very first thing ever sent over the internet was the engineer was trying to type login. And when he did that, it crashed. And the only thing that transmitted was Lo. So that's kind of where he got the name for it. So it was fun seeing all that stuff. The problem with this documentary, though, is there's no unifying theme of kind of where he wants to take it. It really jumps around a lot. So chapter one was, you know, where we've been, like the, the beginning. Chapter two was the next step. Then it talked about how everyone who was on the internet back then was in a phone book. And then I think chapter three was the dark side of the internet. And it tells this rather harrowing tale of a family whose daughter died in a car accident and somehow someone was at the scene and got pictures of her of her corpse pretty much in the car and started sending it to her family and harassing them and just doing all these horrible things um, and showing that the internet, there, there's bad parts out there, the people who do use it for evil. But then chapter four is suddenly about people who are allergic to electromagnetic pulses and have to live in these, there's a special camp uh, that's outside of this observatory when there's no internet, no cell towers, it's a legitimate dead zone because it's picking up radio signals from space and they go there because they break out and they're allergic and, you know, whatever. And then the next step's about robots and then it goes into people addicted to the internet and finally ends up in the future with, uh, you know, where the internet's going. We'll be, we'll be able to tweet from our brains, which all I could think about was the South Park where, um, you know, Carlin was tweeting from his brain and I really can't say the name of it because it was a naughty word. Uh, so yeah, it was fascinating, interesting, uh, even, even though it's hard to listen to Werner Herzog talk for long periods of time, because as we mentioned earlier, Andy, you said it's been parodied so much. Well, and he's, he's almost started self-parodying so much too, Fair. Now we have the very overwrought Werner Herzog telling us exactly how important this thing was. And, oh, it's, yeah. it's great. It's great, and I could listen to it, but I just start laughing. And Well, no, there's also the fact that, to this day, I'll always remember that <clears throat> Hugo Weaving for uh, uh, Captain America was doing his best Werner Herzog for the Red Skull. So that kind of, the whole time he's talking, it was it kind of like trying to go back and watching a movie with James Mason after you've seen Eddie Izzard do the James Mason impersonation. Like it's yep. just, it gets stuck in your head. Yeah. Uh, but overall, interesting. Lots of cool stuff there. Um, he interviews uh, Elon Musk and talks about what he's doing and you know, wanting to go to the Mars. And um, he goes to this, this college where they've built um, these soccer playing robots. And it, so there's a lot of interesting stuff there. There just isn't a cohesive narrative that's threading through that all good documentaries should have. So I'm at a seven. It was fun to watch. If it comes around, which I'm sure HBO probably is going to go buy them all up again like they always do. Um, definitely something to check out, but it's definitely not his best. So, yeah, lo and behold was that. And then the other one, and this one, it's it's hard to talk about. Uh, I wanted to see it because, you know, it is a very, it was a very sad, unfortunate moment in U.S. history. But also, um, you know, it, is, it, it deserves being talked about. It's uh, Newtown, which is the documentary about the, the Sandy Hook shootings from a couple years ago. And... 
all I can say is it's it was very well done. It was very interesting. It's it's chronicling the lives of the families of both um, families who had kids who unfortunately lost their lives were were murdered. Let's not let's not beat around the bush. Was murdered by a crazy terrorist, and also people who maybe their kids were best friends with them and their kids survived. And uh, it's it just kind of follows them after what's going on. Shows how some of them what they're doing to kind of keep their sanity and move on with their lives. Some became political activists and moved into uh, kind of the gun control realm. Other people just, you know, just went about and did what they could. It's, again, really well done. Uh, it was excellent. It just, it's, it was very, very difficult to watch because there's a lot of home movies of, um, <clears throat> um, these kids, these innocent little kids who were, you know, gunned down by an asshole. And uh, it's hard to watch. <clears throat> but in the end, it does tell a really good story, and uh, I don't think it's getting the recognition it deserves. So if if you can stomach it and you want to get upset about, you know, um, I guess you could say, uh, the what's the word I'm looking for? Justified anger over an issue that should be brought about more and talked about instead of just being swept under the rug or, um, you know, relegated to the right or the left of the political spectrum. Um, this one has it in spades. And if you can get through without crying, then you don't have a soul. And <laughs> you shouldn't be my friend. Uh, but no, it's, it was really good. Uh, I'm I'm at a nine just because it was it's it's very uh, timely. It's something that I think everyone should see. And um, again, hopefully it's something that I'm sure we'll pick up on HBO that um, which all I'm sure in the next couple months will probably pop up on HBO. So. <sighs> Anyways, <laughs> on that positive note, <laughs> um, I do want to end with a, with a movie that actually did surprise me, uh, which was Operation Avalanche. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a found footage film, which I, I wasn't expecting going. I didn't kind of know what it was about. I just heard that it was it takes place during the space race of the late 60s, where the U.S. is trying to beat the Soviets to the moon. So the CIA... CIA is hiring these graduates from Harvard to come and be like their film, do all their film work and stuff. Well, they begin to believe that NASA has a Russian mole in it that's sending information to the Soviets to get them to the moon before we did. Uh, and because JFK promised we'd be to the moon before the 70s, uh, that would be a big slap in the face from the Soviets. And it would, uh, you know, it just it would be besmirch our, our pride, our national pride. So they send these CIA agents, these young, you know, college students to NASA under the guise that they're filming a documentary about the space race. Well, in the meantime, their real goal is to find the mole in in uh, NASA. Well, as they're trying to film stuff and figure things out, they come to realize that there's no way in hell we'll ever make to the moon before 1970. And we have to, because that's what, again, what JFK promised. So they set, and this is where the movie totally, just totally changes and becomes almost a different film, which you don't expect they set about to film and fake the moon landing. And they do this by getting things set up. They they have this money coming from the CIA. Uh, they actually go and visit Stanley Kubrick on set of doing 2001 Space Odyssey. And they actually intersperse and did uh, green screen effects with old uh, footage interviews of Stanley Kubrick to put him in the shot. Uh, and basically they, they're doing their best to pull off the fact that, hey, we're going to fake this, everyone's going to think it's real. And then one by one, they start getting threatened and possibly being hunted because no one else can ever learn the fact that we faked this moon landing. So 
they did film it found footage style because it was to make sense they're doing a documentary. And the interesting thing was is that uh, the director came on stage afterwards and explained how they did it. They actually did somewhat guerrilla um, filmmaking. They actually went and toured NASA, and you can go to ground control, mission control, and see how it was set up back in 1969 Apollo missions. And they had their they had full consent of what was going on. So they said, "Hey, can you give us 20 minutes? We're going to film the scene." And they said, "Yeah, yeah, sure, you're good." And I guess while they're doing it, like a tour group came by in the upper room and were like taking pictures at them. So if you ever watch the movie when they're in mission control. You can see scenes where like their flashes are going off, and it's it's you know these tourists taking pictures of them. But um, it's a lot of fun. It's really well done. Uh, it's it was a found footage film that actually worked, which you know is kind of few and far between. So yeah, it was a great movie. Hopefully it'll come out. If it doesn't, I'm sure some indie toy people will pick it up. But uh, yeah, Operation Avalanche uh, about seven point five eight right now. So. Well, is is this the one with Simon Pegg and Ron Perlman? No, no, this is 100% indie. Actually, the, the director is the main character. It's his friends. The, uh, Matt Johnson is the, the director and the main guy. Owen Williams is his best friend in the movie. And uh, no, so it's, it's nobody. So like, I've never heard of these people. I guess they're filming some show for, uh, was it MTV or something, where there's a, it's a TV series, and one of their episodes is called We Sneak a Film into Sundance. And so the joke was that they actually did put a movie in Sundance, but they're making a joke out of it for their TV show. So... Uh, we're not to be used on whatever channel it is. I'll keep an eye out because uh, they were filming us in the crowd. So <laughs> that's that's hilarious. Uh, so uh, our our friend Brian Young and I have a mutual friend uh, who who did a a very similar film at at Sundance where he was doing a very meta approach to it about all of the celebrities and and everything. I like think that, um, he wrote about that, or there's like a. Maybe it was just a short film you made, but I remember seeing something. And this sounds really familiar. Uh, I'll talk about it after. Abby Singer. Um, Abby Singer. Yes, yes, yes. I would talk yeah, about. That's it. Oh no way! Yeah. yeah. So my my old high school buddy Ryan Williams. Hey Ryan, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> okay, and and for the record, I went and started looking uh, who's who's picked up what. Uh, Amazon and Netflix have been uh, picking up the most films. Uh, although the only one that uh, that we've talked about here that um, that's going to show up is the Norman Lear movie, which will come to Netflix. So there we've got we've got that. But I wanted to talk uh, really, really briefly. I you know I spent two minutes kind of popping off about uh, the you know, the racism of Hollywood and, and 50 shades of black and, and how the, the film market is very segregated and we turn around and this week have the highest deal ever from Sundance going to birth of a nation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a movie I really want to see. And it sounds like thanks to Fox searchlight, we, we will be seeing that very, very soon. That's really cool i don't know if that is a response to the you know all of the allegations and real problems of of racism in hollywood or if this is just finally uh this is a moment where black artists and and black directors are finally being recognized for their work and getting that out there so i don't know um, I, again, this was one that just didn't fit in to the time I had to to go see it. It was, I think it was one of the, I think it was opening day or that or the Tuesday a day I couldn't go up to Spark City and see it. 
but I do know that uh, the, the friends I would know who saw it, and then one of my customers who I talk to all the time has uh, his wife does a big thing for Sundance, and I guess she went and saw it with some friends, and they gave it a standing ovation. So I it, yeah, I've heard I've heard really amazing good things about it. Yep, it and it won all of the audience awards, or or maybe not just audience awards. It was audience, and it, won, it was the grand jury award too. Yeah. So uh, and the SAG go. Awards came out too, and the SAG Awards uh, definitely lots of people of color. Um, Queen Latifah won uh, Best Female Actor in a Television Movie or Series. Idris Elba, same thing, male actor. Uh, Uzo Aduba from Orange Is the New Black. Uh, Viola Davis. So not quite as many for uh, Hollywood that I've seen so far because there's oh Idris Elba was for Beast of No Nation. Yep. So there there definitely is kind of. Uh, Actually, well, let's talk about this for a second. So, have you read up on the new rules regarding membership to the academy? Uh, I have, and and I think that's good. But I, and even before we get into this, I want to point out, and I think this is very important, how streaming and streaming first and streaming only audiences are helping to uh, open some of these things up. Orange is the new black, and Beasts of No Nation are streaming only streaming first properties and uh i think that netflix and amazon uh having as large of audiences as they as they do they're able to pick these up and they don't have to worry about calling it a niche audience they don't have to worry about well we're only going to put this into theaters in atlanta birmingham chicago and la um it just everybody gets it and because everybody gets it then everybody gets to see it and i think that's incredibly important and when we talked about when we talked about beasts of no nation you know i i brought that up how incredibly impressive idris elba was um but that the movie was i mean incredibly depressing i think i said it, you know it the difference is whether you want to go see it in a theater or at home is whether you want to cry in a theater or cry in your living room mm-hmm. so i mean but amazing film. Uh, so back to the SAG Awards, though, uh, and and the and the new rules. I think that's I think that's really good. They're opening it up, and they're going to have more people on there. the The real question is, who is going to be in those new slots? And you don't want it to be just like tokenism and oh well we're gonna get we're gonna get an asian guy we're gonna get a latina and we're gonna get a black guy and then we're gonna call it good diversity achieved and that's it mm-hmm. and, and we're gonna pretend it's it's all fine and dandy diversity and equity and inclusion is an ongoing process that everybody has to look at themselves and like try and and make space and and try and make accounting for it and unfortunately that's gonna <laughs> that's going to upset a lot of uh people who are used to being the only ones at the table who generally speaking uh, are you know heterosexual white males white christian males <laughs> and uh some of those people need to move over and and make way for more diverse voices uh, because their experience is not everyone's experience. And I want to see more diverse films. And 
I want to see Orange is the New Black. I want to see Beast of No Nation. I want to see Birth of a Nation. Bring all of it on. Cool. Um, yeah, so that's it for this week. Uh, we, you know, hopefully next week uh, we'll be back to our normal paces and we'll have some new stuff to talk for you. Uh, the two big ones that I saw on the list were Pride and Prejudice and Zombies uh, and Hail Caesar, which is the new uh, Coen Brothers movie. Uh, so yay! Yes, and I was so excited. It's like your screenings on Tuesday. I'm like, yes, our screenings on Tuesday. And it's the same night I have tickets to go see the producers. So I'm seeing the producers on Tuesday, but I will be seeing this uh, with civilians on my spare time on Friday. Uh, and then uh, the week after is uh, the kind of the long-awaited and hopefully amazing Deadpool, which I may or may not have seen by the time we record next time. So I yes, I may or may not have also have seen it, but I'm so excited for Hail Caesar. I, yes, you know, there's I love a good Coen Brothers movie, and we haven't had. A wacky madcap Hales uh, type Coen Brothers movie in a while, and uh, teaming back up with George Clooney and Josh Brolin, like this, this just can't get any better. I I can't wait. Yeah, so it, it's the one I've been excited for. I think God, I saw the trailer. I want to say back like in October, maybe. I think I made it by in front of a screener back then. I was like, "What is yep. this wonderful looking movie?" And it's like Coen Brothers. I'm like, "Yes." Yep. So. That's when I, I will be more than happy to uh, put good money down to go pay and see on Friday. So, Indeed. All right, everyone, have a good week. Thanks for sticking around with us. And hail Satan, and have a lovely afternoon. Punk ass tripping, but it's all right. Homie scored a key, he's gonna fly. Punk ass fly.